Welcome back, y'all. This is the fourth episode of the Zap Podcast. 365 everyday podcasting covering all things that are life, spiritual, physical, those aspects. Today on this episode, what I want to get into is the concept of the little engine that could. So sit back, relax, and if you're doing a workout, push hard. Uh. Welcome. Thank you guys for listening. And as you know, I'm embarking on a journey where I am making a podcast for 365 days with the intention to build something. Um, I think I heard it or I read in a book or saw it in a TikTok where a gentleman actually recorded a podcast for 365 days. And from there, he was able to be financially independent. In my opinion, it was a really inspirational. And from that, I'm taking this. Um, but today I want to jump into it. So I'm talking about the concept of the little engine that could. This is a childhood book. I'm sure most of you know this book. It was actually written and published in the 1930s by Pat and Muck is what it says is the author. And essentially the intention of this book is to teach kids hard work through optimism. Now, without getting into too much of the details, my mom would read this book to me as a child when I was very, very young. Um, essentially, the book was teaching about a little engine that could. And when all the rest of the trains were much more powerful, much more faster, the little engine would go up the hill and say, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And that was really using the, what the author did, The Power of Optimism. Well, this book had a detrimental impact on me, and it kind of relates to what I went through as a child. Um, at a very young age, around third grade, I was actually diagnosed with dyslexia. And whenever you're diagnosed with dyslexia, it's really interesting because it is almost like, I don't want to say, um, I don't want to say a death sentence, but in the sense, I mean, it's not that dramatic, but what it is, is it's really like, a transition point in your life because you're kind of now told and labeled that the way you process information is differently and you're slow. Now, this happened in third grade because I could not meet the reading standards of No Child Left Behind. And essentially what happened from there is I I would have I would fail third grade. Um and it was something that was really really embarrassing for me. I never thought I would fail a grade. And from there, it kind of came in the concept. And simultaneously at the same time, my mother, too, learned that she had dyslexia through me. So we were both kind of sharing this experience. And my mom is very hardworking. She's overcome a lot. And, you know, she's been a nurse for the last 30 years. But we kind of go back to this story of optimism with the little train saying, I think I can. I think when adversity comes in your life, it is very, very important that you go back to the basics. And this book helped me go back to the basics. When I was thinking about how I couldn't read and things of that nature, my mom would always whisper, I think I can, I think I can. And that was really, really important to me. As it relates to me having dyslexia, I have been on the chopping block quite a few times as it relates to education. Um, when I was in high school, I took my ACTs. I know no one takes that. Um, 
Originally, I got an 18, which is incredibly low. The second time I took it, I got a 14, and I literally fell asleep in the middle of the ACTs. It was something that was so embarrassing. But I was able to go to college, and I went to the University of the Ozarks, and they had a program called the Jones Learning Center, or the JLC. And this is a very unique program that helps kids with learning differences be able to succeed within a college environment. They have tutors, they have education coordinators, they have everything you need to succeed with this in this environment. All you have to do is put in time. Needless to say, I put a lot of time in there because I couldn't process and read like everybody else. But what I come to learn is I just had to keep pushing and keep trying similar to that little train. And it took me about four and a half years and I was able to obtain my college degree. And it was a great moment, but, um, you know, without not getting, I mean, essentially this is kind of an overview of the power of persistence. So when I got out of college, the economy crashed. It was hard for me to find a job. I washed dishes. I did everything until I applied to go into the Peace Corps. And from the Peace Corps, I would go to China and I would, you guessed it, teach English. Now, for me to teach English was really, really intimidating. And at first, I didn't tell anybody that I was dyslexic because I didn't want anybody to know. You know, here I got the opportunity of a lifetime to go teach English in China through the Peace Corps, and prior I was washing dishes. So I didn't want anything to stop it. But what had happened was um, whenever you're in Peace Corps for the last three months, you have two weeks of where you just teach, and you're observed by your mentor and teacher teaching you how to teach, like T. Um, so you have a, a TSL, TSL, I can't even remember, what is it? The TEFL, teaching English as a foreign language, is there to, to help you. He had taught in China before. I feel like this is turning into a ton of twister. Long story short, um, I was teaching in class, and I was really, really intimidated about the night before. And I tried my best to teach the class. And when I got done with it, the teacher looked at me and said, you should have told me you were dyslexic <laughs> and you had a learning difference. I was like, wow, he picked it up. But what he told me is, he's like, don't worry, some of the best teachers I know, some of the best PE teachers I know are dyslexic, and it'll come to you, you know, you will be a rock star. And he wrote it down on the piece of paper, and I just remember looking at it thinking, wow, you know, I just went from having no confidence to being incredibly confident that I'm going to be okay. Well, I also went and spoke with the... Um, I guess it was the number two person in charge of Lise for the Peace Corps, and I told her I was dyslexic, and I was terrified of writing, and I just needed additional tools, and she was such a sweet lady, and what she was able to do was provide me with a university that had a PowerPoint system, and this PowerPoint system was my saving grace, you know, because I just got so fortunate along the way when it came to teaching, and it's just, it's so interesting how when you put yourself out there and your environments where you feel like you could potentially fail, people, if you surround yourself by the right people, they will help you and build you up and push you. So the name of the location was Lanzhou. So I was stationed in Lanzhou. This was in the Gansu region about 22 hours via train to where the site was. So from there...
I would teach English. And it was just really, really interesting because the experience taught me a lot about Chinese culture. I learned how to speak Chinese. And I also uh, literally ended up becoming a rock star because I played so much music there. Bands, guitars, singing, touring. And, um, you know, I could go into that and save it for another podcast. But the point was, is I put myself out there and I pushed through and I was able to become really successful. I came back home and it was quite the transition. And I found myself once again feeling the way I felt whenever I was washing dishes. The only job I could get is actually digging holes for a historic stonemason. And the job really taught me a lot about what I didn't want to do, but it also taught me a lot of humility and understanding what that work is like. I mean, my job interview was literally, I showed up and he gave me a still two-foot spike and asked me to dig a trench that was 20 feet long and 14 inches wide. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, I can't believe I went from being a rock star in China to literally the only job I can get is digging this damn trench. But I dug it because it was the only option I had. And I ended up getting a job getting paid $15 an hour. And from there, I worked for about a year and a half. And I decided I wanted to go back to school. You know, it took me doing literally backbreaking work to be like, I need to get a, a higher education. So I applied for my master's degree at the University of Denver. And I wanted to study international security because at the time I thought I wanted to go in the army and be in special forces or work for DHS. Um, And, you know, I was really naive about what the grad school program entailed. I didn't really think it would be as tumultuous as it was. But, you know, showing up there, very optimistic, just like that little train saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can is really like the basis of what was input in me. And when I got into my first grad school class, it was so over my head, the concept of the lecture, reading, and analysis. And I really didn't have any confidence, you know, and it really took a lot for me to understand it. And, you know, the first class I showed up in khakis and slacks, thinking, you know, this is how you dress in grad school. By the third month, I was showing up in jeans and a t-shirt. I didn't care because it, it wasn't really that big of a deal. But I had so much anxiety about grad school. And it's very intimidating. I mean, it's the 10th best grad school in the United States. I was in a really, really well-known program, the Joseph Corbell School. Um, You know, Connelita Rice was affiliated with it. So, you know, some really high people within the State Department went there. Four-star generals go there. You know, people from all walks of life are there. And then there was me. Dyslexic stonemason Zach, or so I thought. And it really took a lot. I think I was almost kicked out of, I was literally almost kicked out of grad school because my GPA was so low that it was around like 1.8 or 2 point, I think it was 2.8. And I had to go in front of a review board and they told me they were going to kick me out of grad school. And that day I had a moment where I literally like cracked the code on my dyslexia. I had written a paper and in the paper, I'll never forget it. I thought I had wrote the word liberty. Okay. But when a woman was reading it, 
because I had to go into the English lab for her to read it. And she was so stressed out. I mean, she read my paper and she literally thought that I was just, I was doomed. So, but in that moment, I realized I had wrote the word library. So me thinking the word was liberty and the word was library, I realized that my eyes cannot see the difference between the words, but my ears can. So I started to do extensive research on trying to find software that read. And lo and behold, I found out that the Apple computer system had a text reader. And this could be for many reasons. It could be because of Steve Jobs. And it also, Steve Jobs was dyslexic, but it also had the text to talk function. And I literally felt for the first time in my life that my wheels were taking off of my bike and I, I could be truly independent because before that I didn't know what I'd do. So going back to the moment where I was in front of this review board and they told me they were going to kick me out of grad school, I was like, you know what? I figured out how to do well in grad school today, and you're never going to see me in that review board. And it truly happened, and I did graduate. But a highlight moment is when I was in my Chinese policy class with Professor Zhao, and I gave an overview of my paper. And the overview of the paper was so good that Mr. Zhao came to me and told me I should do a dissertation on it. Afterwards, classmates were shaking my hand. And it just was a moment where I was like, wow, you know, if you believe in yourself and you work hard, just like that little train saying, I think I can, I think I can, you really can <laughs> overcome so much adversity, you know, and it, if you're allowing your fear to dictate your outcome, you're not going to go anywhere. And you have to be willing to put yourself out there and you have to really be willing to fail. You have to put all on red. So lo and behold, I got my master's degree. I moved to Washington, D.C. and I felt like I was kind of back in that moment of in that trench where I didn't know what to do. So I was working lots of internships. I was walking two miles a day just to go to the metro. And I was so poor and living in a house that eventually I would have had to leave because the people the, the people living in the house were living there too. And they got stationed in um, Europe and they had to go and they rented out the house. So here I was in the middle of my semester of grad school working three different um, internships one of them was my highest paying one and I got let go because it was a contract the contract ended and I had to move a house and it was just it was just remarkable I'm like wow if anything else could go wrong and it did and as a result of that I ended up breaking up with my girlfriend and all these things just kind of happened but I knew if I stayed true and was persistent things would go my way you know and essentially Hey y'all, this is part one of a part two series that gives an overview of how I was able to overcome dyslexia and, and how adversity is still consistent in my life today. So please listen for tomorrow for part two. Thank you.